on December 9th, 1965. An object streaked through the sky over southern Canada and five U.S. states. It crash-landed 30 miles southeast of Pittsburgh, in a small town called Kecksburg. Was it a Soviet satellite? A secret U.S. black project? Or something even more sinister? Welcome to Unknowable, the podcast where we talk about all things mysterious, unusual, or unknowable. I'm Justine. And I'm Gray. This week, we are talking about the Kecksburg incident. Yeah, we're finally back to UFOs. Yeah. Feels like it's been a while. I know. We've been we've been overdue for a good UFO story. Yeah, and this actually is a surprisingly good one. This is one that kind of coughed me. Wow. Coughed me. Caught me off guard a little bit. There you go. Um, this was Gray's idea. Oh yeah. Gray has been going after a, uh, Nazi occult themed episode for a while, (laughs) which I am totally on board with, but it is a deep, deep topic. And every time we try, we run out of time or I run out of time and we end up doing something different. Mm -hmm. Um, and this one you'll, it might not be obvious at first how this is connected, but you'll see eventually listeners that, uh, this does connect. So this was kind of a, a smaller, more niche part of the Nazi occultism mm-hmm. that Gray chose for us to kind of, this is actually perfect. We'll talk about this specific incident. And at the end, we're going to kind of talk about its ties to the Nazi occult part of the world. Um, and then that'll kind of lead us into a near future episode about that topic in general. Yeah, this is going to be part of a suite of Nazi occultism episodes because... I have a feeling this isn't going to be our last one. And even once we start doing like all roads in the 20th century lead back to world war two. So we're definitely going to talk about Nazis and weird occult shit all over the show. Oh yeah. Yeah. This is, I feel like we've very, very vaguely touched on it before just like with really casual mentions, but this is probably the closest we've really gotten out a little bit in the um, Denver airport episode. Yeah. Actually oh, yeah. was a kind of our start. Um, and yeah, maybe a couple times here and there, but that was like the strongest tie so far. So this is going to be a little bit more of a tie, kind of give you another like a little taste of, of that world, um, <laughs> which like sounds terrible. Does, yeah. Wet your appetite. Yeah. Wet your <laughs> for, appetite for more Nazi shit. Yeah. More Nazi shit, which, you know, again, I don't think we need to say it. We do not support any Nazi shit, but no. this shit is still fascinating. So the only good Nazi is a dead Nazi. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, this is a super cool case. So super, super simple. Um, the Kecksburg UFO incident. This was December 1965 mm-hmm. in and near Kecksburg, Pennsylvania, which, as you may have heard in the cold open, is, what, about 30 miles outside of Pittsburgh? Mm-hmm. Exactly. So any listeners in that area, you are super close to a little UFO hotspot, potentially. Pennsylvania's Roswell yeah exactly um yeah it actually gained pretty wide notoriety in popular culture ufology ufology sorry (laughs) wow (laughs) god jesus just take me off this podcast right now (laughs) um and 
as you'll see in a moment here, um, theories kind of really range from a Soviet space probe to an extraterrestrial craft and as, you know, as well as some potential Nazi technology that we will discuss later. Hmm. Um, and yes, Pennsylvania's Roswell, which is so cute. It is so cute. So cute. Um, so yeah, the story goes, the evening of December 9th, 1965, a fireball was seen by thousands in at least eight U.S. states and the Windsor, Canada area. It's wild. Um, yeah, there were reports of hot metal debris over Michigan and northern Ohio. There were grass fires. There were sonic booms in the Pittsburgh metropolitan area. <laughs> um, the Federal Aviation Administration received 23 reports from aircraft pilots, the first starting around 4.44 p.m., and a seismograph 25 miles southwest of Detroit had recorded the shock waves created by the fireball as it passed through the atmosphere. So, Jesus. as is similar with some of our other UFO episodes, mm-hmm. um, a reminder that, you know, UFO really just means unidentified flying object, which right. this was. Literally, like, and, this is, like, something happened here. Like, this wasn't just, like, yeah. somebody seeing lights in the sky. Like, something legitimately, like scientifically crashed this night yeah yeah something for sure happened like this was recorded in many different ways it was witnessed by thousands of people i mean normally with a ufo sighting i mean there's plenty out there where it might just be a couple people it might be a few dozen um but for thousands of people in various states and canada to see this is again proof that this something happened whatever it was we don't know but um yeah, there was actually a, an article in 1967 by two astronomers in the Journal of the Royal Astronomical Society of Canada hmm. that used the seismographic record to pinpoint the time of passage over the Detroit area to 4.43 p- p.m. Um, and they used photographs of the trail taken north of Detroit at two different locations to triangulate the trajectory of the object and concluded basically that it was descending at a steep angle moving from the southwest to the northeast and likely impacted on the northwestern shore of Lake Erie. Um, hmm. But despite that finding, some people in the village of Kecksburg... So at the time, I believe I read that the village of Kecksburg had something like 250 people living yeah. in it. So this was like a tiny little tiny village. Um, yeah, 30 miles southeast of Pittsburgh and roughly 300 miles from where it was believed to have landed... People reported something crashing in the woods, seeing wisps of blue smoke, uh, vibrations, and a, quote, thump. Hmm. So, Real quick, before we get too far, did you say that it was traveling, yeah. when it crashed, it was traveling southwest to northeast? Um, yes. Which is interesting, because if it was seen beginning in Canada, but crashed in the United States, that would mean it had to have been going north to south at one point, and then change directions hmm. to crash. Right. Yeah, and that that will come up a little bit too, but there were people who said that they what they saw wasn't simply something falling, but that they saw it changing its trajectory somewhere along the way. So like it seemed like it was a controlled object. Interesting. Um, All right. Yeah, which listeners you'll see later how that uh information contradicts with one of the more popular theories of what this is. Mm-hmm. Um But yeah, hundreds of people saw it in the nearby area. A ton of people in this village saw it. Um, Many people called local authorities, you know, to say something just crashed. Mm. Um, 
witnesses and other town residents recall it being on the radio very soon after like a you know quick emergency broadcast essentially and you know seeing lots of cars and other activity near these woods where it crashed um and people generally were very struck by how quickly armed military men more than two dozen of them arrived at the scene you know quickly taking charge and chasing people away essentially any civilians who you know because people do i mean that when that kind of weird thing happens you do run over to see what happened and oh like, absolutely you know is anybody hurt was that a plane um trying to catch a glimpse of what it could be but as soon as the military arrived on the scene they kind of descended and i mean okay i can't remember which episode it was and i know we say this all the time but this is like exactly the x-files mm-hmm. oh 100 exactly like there is literally an episode, and I wish I could remember more detail, but there is literally an episode where this exact thing happens, where something crashes in the woods, mm-hmm. and like Mulder's trying to get closer, and there's just, it's like, I remember it either being like an actual crater, or it just like, you know, it just dips down into a lower mm-hmm. part of the woods, and he's kind of like up. It's one of my favorite scenes, because it's just so classic, like, misty woods x-files scene and like Mulder's wearing like i feel like he's wearing his casual clothes yeah. <laughs> if i recall you know like Mulder in jeans or yep. whatever oh yeah and i just remember him like you know hiding behind like some bushes or whatever like trying to see <laughs> and it's like i that's all i'm picturing when i think of this part of this story is this happening like just all of these military with their vehicles descending on this area and everybody else is being chased away and if you're caught looking like they're gonna you know threaten you with their weapons and right. tell you to get away um yeah this is classic x yes yeah. it's yeah it's like textbook um according to an initial story in the greensburg tribune review quote the area where the object landed was immediately sealed off on order of u.s army and state police officials reportedly in anticipation of a quote close inspection of whatever may have fallen hmm. state police officials there ordered the area roped off to await the expected arrival of both u.s army engineers and possibly civilian scientists end quote um and when state troopers and air force personnel searched the woods they reportedly found quote absolutely nothing hmm. despite them being allegedly seen removing a large object in a flatbed truck suspicious suspicious um yeah, so that kind of takes us right into some theories. Yeah. That's really all there is to the story. That's about it. Is some shit crashed, and they on paper they found nothing. I so think we can all agree that, that the knowable part of this is that something crashed in the woods and was seen by hundreds of people in multiple states and countries. So yeah, I and I'm pretty excited about it because of that because it's so tangible. It's not like oh it's fucking swamp gas reflecting off like the moon or whatever or the moon reflecting mm-hmm. off swamp gas anyways yeah. both at the same time right that's what makes it so mysterious <laughs> what a twist what a twist but something happened something crashed and arguably something did crash in kecksburg i just don't know how people in this village could have you know seen and heard something crashing that close to their residences and had it not be right there or very close by right um i'm not an expert on ufos or meteors or whatever you want to think that it is but right i have to think that you don't just imagine i don't know the particularly the sounds of it crashing are um convincing to me that people like 
saw this smoke and they saw like a flash in the woods. Right. Um, and again, one person hallucinating that is one thing. <clears throat> all the people who witnessed this all hallucinating the same thing on the same night at the same time. Statistically, probably impossible. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, theories abound on what it could be. One of the speculations is that it was the re-entry of the Cosmos 96 mm-hmm. that was responsible for the fireball. Right. Yeah, so the Cosmos 96 was a uh, Soviet satellite that was intended to go and explore Venus. Um, but investigations of photographs and sightings of the fireball indicated that its path was probably too steep to be consistent with a spacecraft re-entering the orbit. Um And they thought more likely it would be a meteor, which we'll talk about a little bit, um, in prograde orbit from the vicinity of the asteroid belt. So they thought that the cosmos, again, likely ended its flight over western Lake Erie, which is about almost 300 miles from Kecksburg. So again, when we're talking about people in Kecksburg seeing and hearing something crash, I really don't think maybe depending on the level of the crash they could have heard something from that far away i don't really again i'm not an expert on that but i don't imagine that they could have seen smoke and shit like in the woods by their houses if it was 300 miles away right exactly um so and u.s air force had tracking data on the cosmos that indicate that the spacecraft orbit decayed earlier than the time the fireball was reported so Hmm. ultimately what they came down to is that it was really uncertain based on, you know, re-entry coordinates and things like that to definitively say if it could have been the spacecraft or not. Um, NASA released a statement in 2005 reporting that experts had examined fragments from the area and determined that they were from a Soviet satellite, but that records of their findings were lost in the 1990s. Suspicious. (laughs) Yeah. So this ended up with... uh, So Leslie Keene... An investigative journalist described as, quote, an investigative reporter backed by the Sci-Fi Channel um, (laughs) reportedly sued NASA under the Freedom of Information Act for the lost NASA records. So if you don't know, the Freedom of Information Act is a federal freedom of information law that requires full or partial disclosure of previously unreleased information controlled by the U.S. government upon request and was basically intended to make the U.S. government, you know, its functions more transparent and open to public scrutiny and all that. So um, I guess they ended up being ordered by a court in October, 2007 to search for those records. And during that hearing, Steve McConnell, NASA's public liaison officer testified that two boxes of papers from the time of the Kecksburg incident were missing. Um, Not the first time they've lost something. The, uh, tapes from the Apollo 11 moonwalk were actually accidentally erased. Yeah. Quote unquote, suspicious. accidentally. Um, yeah, side like, note, literally like taped over. Right. I, this is very on brand for me and this show, but I don't know if you even know this, <laughs> but back when I was in high school, I actually did a freedom of information act request. I sent really? one in and totally you just send it in. And I think you send in like a dollar to pay for like the copies or whatever. And I did that and forgot about it. And months later, I got this packet in the mail. It was everything related to Project MK Ultra, the government mind control oh, yeah. project. So I got yep. a physical, like it was like a thick, like envelope of paper of uh, papers that were like photocopies of the MK Ultra project. Ninety nine percent of it was just blacked out. It was just pages <laughs> and pages of just black marker. 
I would, I don't know what like, happened to those papers though. I had them for a while. I do kind of remember that now. Cause I remember you, you must've like told me when you got it in the mail. Right. And yeah, that just got stashed away in my like file of like, wow, my brother is the coolest. <laughs> like you're just like, yeah, I got a bunch of MK ultra files in the mail from the government. I was like, okay, just like for fun. Great. And then I completely forgot about it until I got a letter from the CIA in the mail or from the FBI in the mail. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, uh, oh fuck. shit. Anyways, what did I do? But I guess I don't understand exactly what the purpose is then if you can like request information. I mean, I, I understand also that they can't just give out anything, but it seems a little confusing that they're like, yeah, sure. Just request whatever you want. We'll send it to you. And then they're like, well, we're actually not going to send you anything. It's just going to be like five words that you can read. Right. Yeah. It's so. the, it's the illusion of transparency. Right. Yeah. Basically. So, um, in 2008, Space writer James Oberg suggested that NASA was unlikely to possess any such documents since, in his view, it was highly likely that the supposed NASA team that investigated the site were, in fact, Air Force personnel who identified themselves as NASA personnel, something regularly done by military personnel in civilian clothes during the 60s. Hmm. Um, And he believed that Keene's action of suing them was no more than a publicity stunt. Both things possible and maybe likely um i actually tried to find more info on this whole air force pretending to be nasa thing and i really couldn't <laughs> find anything else about that hmm. um but i looked into james oberg being a quote space writer because that's literally what it said what a great and job i know i was like wow that sounds like an awesome thing to be but yeah he is indeed a space journalist and historian who is regarded as an expert on both the Russian and Chinese space programs and had a 22-year career as a space engineer in NASA Hmm. and apparently has given many explanations of UFO phenomena in the popular press. Hmm. Um, But to possibly work in his favor as far as knowing about the Air Force pretending to be NASA, he was on active duty with the Air Force in 1970, um, worked with modeling laser and nuclear weapons and then worked in the department of defense computer institute actually helping design and test arpanet the ancestor of the internet so cool dude but yeah i don't know so that makes it seem like okay maybe nasa didn't have anything to begin with because they were never even there i don't know right we don't know we'll never Um, know it's unknowable it's unknowable so but more recent comments even since then by nasa are less supportive of a link to a russian satellite they said essentially that the path through the atmosphere was too steep and it was more likely a meteor so they kind of went back on that Hmm. um so that leads us to that theory primarily said to be a meteor bolide a bolide if you don't know is an extremely bright meteor especially one that explodes in the atmosphere um it's actually from the greek word for missile oh interesting interesting right um, that was the shared theory of a bunch of different astronomers and geophysicists and things. Um, a spokesman for the defense department. They were all just like, yeah, it's just a meteor. Um, which is what they'd want you to think. Right. Classic, right? like like NASA answer. Oh, yeah. just a meteor. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Just a meteor. Just like natural phenomenon. It's nothing. Um, so that might seem believable until you get to the extraterrestrial craft theory. Right. Which, of course, pretty much anything <laughs> like this, it was you see something in the sky, it's going to be aliens. Um, so there was an episode of Unsolved Mysteries 
1990. Yes. Partly dedicated to this story. Um, It quoted local residents at the time who said that they had found a bronze-colored object in the woods shaped like an acorn and about as large as a Volkswagen Beetle, bearing writing resembling Egyptian hieroglyphs, which was subsequently removed in a secret military operation. Hmm. Again, classic X-Files. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, So when they made the episode, they, of course, you know, didn't have any fancy techniques to use, so they made (laughs) a replica of the space acorn. Yeah. And... I love it. And it's still on display in the village. You can go to Kecksburg and go to like their local fire station. And it's like, it's there, man. Yeah. So now we have to go on a road trip. We have to go to Kecksburg and we have to go to Point Pleasant to see the Mothman statue. Yes. Yes. Because as well as the actual space acorn, um, there is also like a tiny little, you know, space acorn UFO little shop that they have, which sounds like it's tiny. Like, I feel like it mentioned like a, sort of like a community center but there's like a bar or something and it's like part of the bar i don't know hmm. but you can get a sweet t-shirt and so i'm like if we do that oh yeah i want one of those t-shirts absolutely yeah and they also do a little ufo festival in july each year to raise money for the volunteer fire department so it's very wholesome that's delightful yeah so again if you live near pittsburgh um you know depending on covid stuff this year you should try to go to the little festival in kecksburg take a trip yeah take a trip anyways um these are some of the people the residents of kecksburg are some of the people that said as i mentioned before that the fireball appeared to be guided changing its path and making a level descent away from residential areas and into the woods so Mm -hmm. whatever this was seemed like it was trying not to hurt people that's great or trying not to be discovered i guess you could go either way right Right. Maybe he was trying Maybe. to crash into Lake Erie. Water landing. Yeah, right. Yeah. But that's like that's the thing too. I'm not an expert <laughs> on any type of aircraft landing like that. Like <laughs> is it feasible that you could be trying like you could seem like you're gonna land in Lake Erie and like take a three hundred mile detour? Like how long does that take? Is that possible? I don't really know. Right. Um but yeah, the first people on the scene, again, just civilians, said it was partly buried in the ground. Um, they claimed they were turned away by military personnel, and stories even circulated about men in black style visitors at the homes of folks who had witnessed anything related to it. Classic. Classic men in black. Classic. Yeah, it's like everything that you could want in a story. Mm-hmm. Um, so... There was a witness, a Mr. Hayes, who got to have a unique perspective as the military actually set up their command center in his family's two-story house overlooking the woods. Okay. Hey, how cool is that? Like, the military just came and they were like, dude, basically like, A, it had a good view and B, it had working telephones. So they were just like, we're using your house. That makes sense. Yeah. It's like, easy to forget that this was in the 60s. Right. You're like, this would never happen now. Mm Mm-hmm. But in the 60s and like yeah i'm like i have such a vivid like despite us doing that episode on aphantasia and me saying that i have no like (laughs) mental images going on like i have a very vivid image of this oh yeah of the military like 60s era looking military people yeah descending on this house right and like this wholesome 60s family just being like sure guys whatever you need like here's some cookies and milk sounds swell (laughs) yeah sounds swell come on in guys 
make yourselves at home take your shoes off mm-hmm. and so this mr hayes i believe was a child at the time like not a young young child but like you know 10 or 11 or something um and he said quote i couldn't see down into the hollow where they were at but i did see six guys in radiation suits take a box down there i didn't see them bring it back out end quote Hmm. um and he also said that a later inspection of the family's phone bill showed no evidence of the calls that were made from the house which again like seems sketchier on the surface maybe but also like if they were calling nasa or the fbi or whoever else like they probably wouldn't want those numbers just like available right right you know these are like insider phone numbers not just like i don't know i don't even know like can you call like customer service at nasa i don't know like can the average person just call i have no idea so they probably don't want them to have those numbers so like that seems on one hand to be like whoa shady but on the other hand it's like well of course they didn't want you getting those numbers and being able to call whoever they called (laughs) fucking nasty (laughs) but also we don't know who they called so Hmm. that's maybe shady i don't know um there was a former post gazette reporter ernie hoffman who was working the night shift when he and a photographer were sent to the scene he said he arrived in time to see military men taking an object away on the back of a flatbed truck but he recalls it being much smaller than a volkswagen maybe the size of a couple suitcases so Hmm. We've got a few conflicting things there. Um, Interesting. Why would they need a flatbed truck for something that was only the size of a couple suitcases? Well, that too. Exactly. Like, seems odd that it would be that small. But, um, yeah, many investigators believe it was taken to a hangar at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Dayton, Ohio, Mm. where one witness claims to have seen what appeared to be a small body on a gurney next to it. Hmm. Um. The witness said there was an arm hanging down, quote, it had three digits and lizard-like skin. What? So, it just gets weirder. Oh, yeah. Um, And then, maybe the darkest part of this is, there is a man named John Murphy. He was a reporter for a local radio station, uh, WHJB, who was among the first to arrive on the scene and claimed to have taken photos of the object. He was barred from covering the military's activities and um, he noted the investigation's extreme security measures so he became convinced that a cover-up was afoot he created a radio documentary titled object in the woods in which he described what he saw that day and his attempts to investigate the crash Hmm. but before it was aired government officials allegedly visited his home and confiscated his photos interesting um yeah sources familiar with the original documentary including his wife stated that the aired version had been heavily edited and didn't mention the mysterious object at all. Four years later, Murphy was killed in an apparent hit-and-run accident while vacationing in California. Interesting. Dun-dun-dun. Yeah. So. Hmm. Seems hmm. sketchy. Yeah. Again, definitely, like, that's, like, a lot of detail for something that didn't actually happen. You know? Right. Like, I don't know. I okay we'll talk about our personal theories after we've got a couple more potential theories and then we'll we'll go into what we think because i'm about to like dive into why i think certain things but no it's not time oh yeah soon (laughs) um soon so two westmoreland county researchers uh john 
Venture, who is state director of the Mutual UFO Network, and mm. Owen Eichler have a theory that it was a General Electric Mark II reentry vehicle that had been launched by the Air Force as a spy satellite but fell out of orbit. <laughs> um, they believed it was launched from Johnston Island in the Pacific two days earlier as part of America's top secret program for spying on the Soviet Union from space. And that the reason that it was whisked away in secret was because, of course, we wouldn't want anybody knowing that we were spying. Right. Um, Eichler was 13 the night it happened, and he recalls seeing, quote, the predominantly green glowing object with wisps of yellow, purple, and orange colors shoot across the sky. Hmm. And then there's a Greensburg resident, Stan Gordon, who would grow up later to be a noted UFO researcher. Um in 2004, he produced a DVD called Kecksburg, The Untold Story, including witness accounts of the incident. He was basically running into roadblocks trying to pin this thing on a spy satellite as no American or Soviet objects that he found in his research matched this description, this weird acorn-shaped thing. Hmm. Um, but sometime after 1991, he discovered newly released government documents about the GE Mark II, which... I guess had the entry vehicle inverted in the nose cone and the size Mm. and the shape appeared similar to the Kecksburg UFO. Um, Makes sense. It had four control jets, which could explain the controlled turning descent. It had copper as part of its construction, which could explain the green flames. Mm -hmm. Oh, right. And the photos of the re-entry vehicle had markings that could have seemed foreign to civilian observers, the Egyptian hieroglyph looking things. Mm. And then... Finally, it's believed that it would have had a nuclear or atomic generator in it explaining the rapid military response, the lead box, the radiation suits, and even the strict turning away of civilian observers to keep them away from possible radiation poisoning. Hmm. So that's actually a pretty convincing yeah, that's pretty theory, solid. really. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I was like all about the ufo thing as usual and then i mm-hmm. read that and i was like fuck that kind of like ticks all the boxes it really does yeah hmm. um so there is that but also 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 we got one more theory <laughs> oh yes we <laughs> never do. nobody's gonna see it coming well they no. will because we talked about it already we talked about it extensively um, yeah so in 2008, an episode of the Discovery Channel series Nazi UFO Conspiracy <laughs> suggested the incident was the recovery of an alleged Nazi UFO called... Diglock. I'm yeah. 100% probably mispronouncing that because I don't speak German. You know what, though? I looked up a video so I could see how it was pronounced, and I'm pretty sure that's how they said it. I mean, German and English are pretty similar, so maybe that is Diglock. Right? The woman in the video end. had like a slight German accent, so I feel like she knows. Right. <laughs> I don't. I don't, I don't really know. That's <laughs> like terrible. But uh, uh, yes, that means the bell, yes. also known as the Nazi bell. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, Gray's gonna tell us about this because Gray knows all about this. I've yes. This is this is the part that I did, did a pretty deep dive on. Yeah. So I'm gonna bring y'all back to World War II, where all things begin. Yep. Um. So. What we know about Nazi Germany and World War II is that they were actively trying to develop what they called Wunderwaffe, which means wonder weapons. Um, wow, that was good. Thank you. So <laughs> <laughs> you just replaced the W. Wonderwaffle. Wonderwaffle. <laughs> so yeah. they were 100% trying to develop like wild, crazy, like 
inventions that would win the win the war basically like giant air like they wanted they were actively trying to develop a thing called the america bomber which was literally a plane that could fly from germany over new york city bomb it and then fly back to germany on a single tank of fuel um they tried they invented like the world's largest railgun which is just a giant artillery piece that's on train tracks that fires this giant thing that's like the size of a car um if you ever look up look up Wunderwaffe on Wikipedia and there's it's like a a giant page of just like hundreds of different things that they were trying to develop that were some of them were super reach like a a reach goal but some of them are more attainable like for example the V2 rocket um you know the the beginning of modern rocketry um that was a a Wunderwaffe weapon so some of them were more realistic than others so we know that they were trying to develop these wonder weapons um there was a polish um a polish journalist oh i'm gonna get this guy's name so wrong um igor witkowski actually that's not that bad yeah igor witkowski so in the year 2000 he published a book called the truth about the wonder weapon i'm not even gonna try to pronounce the polish version of that name but no. yeah, this is kind of where the story of the bell comes from. So according to Witkowski's account, um, there was a Nazi Obergruppenführer, which is essentially a three-star general in Nazi Germany. Um, his name was Hans Kammler. So this dude, real dude, real story. Look him up. He participated in a lot of atrocities because he's the Nazi. So he's a real, mm. real war criminal with a real history. This isn't like a made up dude for like the sake of a conspiracy theory. Um, he was a, a, a civil engineer and he overstraw the construction of various Nazi concentration camps and was eventually put in charge of the V2 program. So again, legit guy who was in charge of a secret weapons program in Nazi Germany. Um, so he was put in charge towards the end of the war and uh oversaw like the completion of the v2 rocket and um was in charge of the v2 rocket program when they actually started using rockets to bomb london so legit dude who's actually in like the highest levels of the nazi secret weapons programs so what's not known about kamler is what happened to him after the war he in about uh, may you know about a month before hitler killed himself um he kind of drops off the map. There's conflicting accounts as to what happened to him. His driver says that he was absolutely dead in April. In fact, his like listed or in May rather, um, his listed death is the 9th of May in 1945, but people have conflicting accounts that he didn't actually die. Um, and in fact, this group of people who were searching for Nazi war criminals after world war two, um, they listed him on a list of people who most likely made it out of Germany and were living somewhere else, um, probably in Argentina. So long story short, his body's never been found and it's never been conclusively proven when or where he died. Um, So Donald W. Richardson, who was a former OSS special agent, so um, the precursor to the United States um, CIA, he claimed to be the man who brought Kamler to the United States. So the idea is wow. that Kamler 
being, you know, the director of the Nazi secret weapons programs had tons of access. In fact, all of the access to all of the different secret weapons programs. So as the war is winding down and he sees the writing on the wall, he most likely would have taken a bunch of like the blueprints and schematics for stuff that he was working on as a bargaining chip if he ever got caught by the allies so that he could then give them that in exchange for not being tried as a Nazi war criminal. Um, so supposedly according to this OSS special agent Richardson, um, that's exactly what happened. He was caught. He gave over the plans for all these Nazi secret weapons and he was brought to the United States where he was quote, interned at a place of maximum security with no hope, no mercy and without the light of day until he hanged himself. So damn, it's kind of a, it's kind of a happy ending for a Nazi who, um, you know, slave labor built all of the V2 rockets and they even built a special concentration camp just for this dude's uh, factory because he needed so many, so much slave labor to build his, his special weapons. So Jesus. anyway, so yeah. So for those who don't know, operation paperclip was a U.S. Um, secret, not slightly secret, kind of an open secret um, where they would, when they caught you know, quote unquote, useful Nazi scientists, they would essentially wipe their background clean and not try them for war crimes as long as they would come to the United States and practice what they were doing for Nazi Germany, but for the United States government. That's where Werner von Braun, who essentially is the father of the U.S. space program, he was 100% a Nazi and was working with Kamler and was almost definitely aware of the concentration camps and whatnot. But that's a that's a whole nother story for a whole nother day. So, dang. The idea is that Kamler <laughs> came to the United States. Um, oh, I should probably get into the bell part, shouldn't I? So yeah, so this dude Kamler, he's the way that the <laughs> he's the 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 reason that these schematics get to the united states so one of the schematics that he supposedly brought was for Diglock, the nazi bell so the nazi bell was a device that was shaped like a bell kind of um or an acorn depending on your perspective a space acorn a space acorn um (laughs) it was either a craft that had an anti-gravitational effect or it was a time machine or it was simply just a vertical takeoff uh craft so it was something it was an unconventional like space not not spacecraft it was an unconventional craft that they were trying to build that either utilized anti-gravity or was a time machine um there's also even one guy who claims that it was just simply turbine engines kind of like five or six turbine engines in a circle that would spin really fast and act kind of like a rocket. So it could have been like more conventional, but, um, Hmm. anyways. So yeah, so that's, that's the Nazi bell. There's some physical evidence. Like there's this weird, these weird ruins that the Soviets found as they were advancing into Germany where it was a, a military installation. And there were these specific kind of structures that they found that looked basically like if you took a, a perfect circle of concrete, and supported that circle of concrete with a bunch of pillars around the bottom of it that there was like two or three of these found at this military installation. And the theory is that the Nazi bell would kind of sit in this perfect circle and then it would have like an open bottom, like where the the pillars were supporting it so that it could take off vertically and kind of the way that like, um, when a rocket like 
lifts off. It kind of has like that big open space under it for the flames to go. Hmm. So these are actual things you can Google. You can Google it. You can find pictures of um, these, these weird circular structures. So the idea is that the Nazis were developing this as an anti-gravitational thing. Um, Whether or not they were using sort of conventional science or if they had been perhaps given this technology by extraterrestrials um that remains that's that's a story for another day um (laughs) the nazis were certainly into a bunch of occult shit um so it could have been some kind of pagan magic like alistair crowley style and lamb or it could have been more scientific like there's a whole race of aliens that are supposedly called the nordics that are just tall broad-shouldered blonde blue-eyed dudes so hitler would have been super into that um true true so it is nazis were developing the bell kamler gives the plans for the bell to the united states in exchange for not being executed for war crimes and the united states then develops this sort of anti-gravitational and or time machine weapon and whether or not it's a weapon is up for debate, but this craft and in the course of either test drive, I mean the fact that it, the fact that they supposedly brought this to Wright Patterson air force base, um, it could have launched from there as well. It could have just, but this could have been like it's maiden flight, you know, like they finally spend, so this is 1965. So it's about 20 years after the end of world war two. So it's conceivable that if, um, you know, depending on when Kamler made it to the United States, it could take 10, 15, 20 years to figure out the technology to actually make this thing work and fly. And this could have been its maiden yeah. voyage, or I guess it could have been, you know, a maiden voyage years before. And that this was just a bad, you know, a bad crash where it went horribly wrong. Um, but the craft that was supposedly seen, like the sort of space acorn matches up pretty well with the craft that um, the die Glock is supposed to be. So, yeah, I mean, I, I could go on <laughs> for so long about this, which is why we're going to need yeah, to do multiple so, episodes on Nazi occult shit. Which, yeah, so hopefully if you're listening and you're into this, don't worry, because there's going to be more. Yes. In <laughs> some future episodes, we are planning a, a bigger, again, probably an actual series of episodes on Nazi occultism and various shit like this. So, mm-hmm stay tuned for that but yeah i think that was like the most interesting theory actually maybe even more interesting than the alien theory for me yeah this it's kind of an alien theory if you think about it because you know i guess spoiler alert for the x-files you know how the the sort of the twist in the x-files is that it was you know it wasn't aliens it was just the u.s government the whole time using alien technology that's kind of the same idea where, you know, it's, it's just like all the UFOs we've been seeing aren't aliens flying the UFOs. We're just humans using alien technology. Right. Would make a lot of sense. It does. It does make sense. And yeah, I just think it's fascinating that, I don't know, you don't really, unless you do know more about, um, the Nazis and World War II in general, you don't really think of them as trying to develop stuff like this, like weapons mm. and stuff, maybe a little more obvious, but even that I don't think I really realized until pretty recently how much they were trying to develop all these different weapons and um, 
like you said, a lot of it just stayed as prototypes and or they were by the time they were developed, it was too late. The war was ending. Um, right. So they didn't really have much. And even the fact that this initially came out, this die Glock specifically in this guy's book, he, you know, was born in the 60s. So it's not like he was around for the war, but he says that he has um, like he's written over 50 books on military technology and the history of world war two. This is kind of like the convergence of these two things are very much his specialty. Um, right. And he kind of talked about how he had gotten his hands on a bunch of documents and paperwork about this technology specifically. So he, I don't know, somehow has some access here. Right. Right. Yeah. So I think it's kind of interesting to see all of these different possibilities for what this craft could have been. And honestly, like for me, the meteor thing doesn't really track. Um, I agree. Even the cosmos thing doesn't really track. There's like a decent amount of proof that that wasn't what that was. Um, Right. I mean, just, just the simple fact that it changed directions, like not, and not just like, Oh, it's went from going Sat like straight south to like southeast. No, it started. It went from going south to northeast. That's like a pretty sharp turn. So whatever it was wasn't just a meteor or something falling from the sky because it would have had a simple, clean, direct uh, trajectory. Right. Yeah. So I think it's it's pretty obvious that it was something being controlled, which then yeah basically leaves it to be either a completely extraterrestrial craft Hmm. with potentially aliens involved. I don't, you know, who knows how reliable that source was that said that they saw a body on a stretcher or that they saw, you know, a hand with these like lizard, like digits or whatever. Um, And who knows how reliable it is to think that it could be Nazi technology, but those, (laughs) seem like they are potentially up there and then but even you know you've got this um that kind of third theory that we talked about with the what was it called got my notes here hmm. the uh the general electric mark ii re-entry vehicle and even that i don't know if that fell out of orbit i don't really know that did kind of cover a lot of the bases with you know the copper for the green flames and all that stuff but oh yeah i did say that it had the capability to turn so right that's kind of one of the the more convincing theories i think so that as usual i'm between these three <laughs> <laughs> like could be any of those it could be any of them <laughs> um i have to say i think it's the the re-entry vehicle that is a pretty compelling you know if i have to go with occam's razor the most the the uh solution that has the least amount of assumptions is probably correct i would say the mark three re-entry vehicle makes the most sense um, mm. and the secrecy and the fact that it hasn't, nothing's come out about it yet could be due to the fact that the, their people died and it was embarrassing. And, right. um, I mean, supposedly when they talk about Yuri Gagarin being the first human to survive a trip to space, he wasn't the first man in space. He was just the first one who survived coming back. So it's almost right. definite that like the Russians had, you know, several more people who died before Yuri Gagarin survived. So the Russians definitely covered up some 
space related death. So it would make sense that we did too. So yeah, it really does check all the boxes, the radiation, the secrecy, the uh, response of the military. They could have also been tracking it and that's how they were able to respond so quickly because they knew that it was reentering and they knew where to find it based on satellite information or whatever. Yeah. I like the Nazi theory because it's fascinating, but it's too many assumptions. Yeah. Yeah. I would say the Nazi theory is my favorite and then the extraterrestrials and then the reentry vehicle. But yeah, I, I probably would agree that it, if I had to pick one, the reentry vehicle is probably up there for me. That definitely makes sense. And again, like, like you said, with the X-Files reference there, just because something is super secretive and they don't want it to get out doesn't necessarily mean it's something completely not of this world. It is probably more likely that it's just a government secret. Right. Something that's embarrassing it's, to the government. Yeah. It's still something shady, but it doesn't mean that it's necessarily aliens. Um, right. As much as I want it to be aliens. As much, aliens. Because <laughs> I, I pretty much always do. But yeah, pretty fascinating and kind of kind of cool. Like makes me a little jealous that we don't have like a Portland's Roswell. I want a Roswell. Right. I know. We'll have to look cool. into that. There's got to be something vaguely similar well there was just that thing that said you know that we're a big hot spot for ufos here so yeah just any day now any day just waiting we're ready (laughs) our our roswell is coming so yeah that's the uh the kecksburg ufo incident yeah so again hopefully anybody who's interested in the nazi occult side of that you're gonna get more of that Anybody who's just interested in the UFO crash part of that, you're going to get more stories like that too. So, oh yeah, welcome to Unknowable. Covering all the bases. Yeah, welcome to Unknowable. If this is your first time around, this is a pretty representative episode, I would say. Right. So. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. As usual, check out our Instagram at Unknowable Podcast. Go find us on Patreon. Mm-hmm. Go check out. We do technically have a Facebook page. We're not really on there, but go look anyways. Yeah. Just go look. You know, and as always, let us know on any of those places what you think happened in Kecksburg and definitely reach out if you live near there, if you've heard anything more locally, if you've been to the cool little UFO store we want to know. Right. I know. Yeah. Hit us up. Send us some t-shirts. Oh, that'd be awesome. (laughs) Yeah, that'd be awesome. Um, But yeah. This is unknowable. Unknowable. Love you.